You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to episode 100 of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas, from BleacherReport.com, and joining us, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Ben Folks. Well, Ben, here we are, episode 100, triple digits. We made it. This is when the money starts rolling in, right? Yes, that is exactly right. Yeah, that's right. Did you uh, did you br- did you get your cardio together? Did you bring your legs with you? Oh, you know I did. And you know, since since now we're big time, when we hit triple digits, I went on ahead and, and leased that Lexus on my way over here. Uh, figure I'll hit up the mall jewelry store on the way home to get a little bling. I mean, it's gonna be fine, right? Yes, my. Uh Advice to you would be to spend the money as fast as possible before you even get it. Before we even uh, know where it's coming from. Yeah. Before, before it even exists. Before, before we have anything resembling a plan for how we're going to get paid. I, I'm just Woo! saying. That's right. I, we, we've, we've talked a lot about how we were going to have a lot of special and top secret plans for episode 100 of the Co-Main Event podcast. I guess the first one we should let all the people in on is uh, the reason I asked you if you brought your legs with you. Uh, we're going five rounds today. That's right. Championship rounds. That's right. Two hours of the co-main event podcast. I don't want you to pull a Travis Brown over there. Be ready to go about one and a half. Well, look, man, if, if that's what it comes to, you can rest assured that I will have x-rays of all my body parts available immediately afterwards for you to see. Just so you can know that I wasn't bullshitting. I, I would never accuse you of bullshitting. Uh, reason number one, because you brought us a couple of uh, fine malted beverages to enjoy during yeah. episode 100. You know, I was going to get like some champagne or something, but let's be honest, that's that's not us. Yeah, and gross. Yeah. Well, so, but hey, old English, uh, you know, a couple ice cold 40s here in the middle of the afternoon. That's that's just the the nectar of the gods right there yep just a couple of uh eight balls as we used to call them back in the old days before we knew what cocaine was <laughs> well chad dennis here's to you here's yep. to the podcast here's to a hundred more that, well jesus christ let's not even start to think like that i don't know if i can handle it uh but you know what i'm excited for this because not only are uh we celebrating the 100th episode by doing two full hours you know, a lot of you have been out there asking for more CME each week. Now you're going to get it this week. Let's see if you like it once you get it. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if you will. People are always emailing us, asking us to uh, give them more. And so uh, we came up with a little plan that we hope uh, uh, at least partially is able to uh, to sate the public. And they're there. What seems to be bottomless appetite for the co-main event podcast, which frankly doesn't surprise me. No. I mean, <laughs> We have a completely elastic product. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Just like the UFC. Yeah, yeah. No, and uh, I really look forward to uh, you know CME Argentina, which will be available only on CME Listen Pass, uh, and uh, really working hard to get Chad to sign up for that one. Why don't you tell him what we're going to do? Tell him about the Breakfast of Champions. Okay. Well, see, here's what we're going to do because we want to you know have a little something more going on throughout the week. Often, uh, as some people have noted. News happens to break after we record the podcast, sometimes minutes after we record the podcast. That's correct. Uh, so to keep you from having to go all week with no CME up in your life, uh, we're going to send out a little little email something something once a week for you guys. Uh, probably send it out later in the week, you figure? Thursday, Friday, maybe? Friday. I got my eye on Friday. Friday. Uh, you know, a little, a little something Friday morning we like to call the CME's Breakfast of Champions, where uh, we'll send you... An email with some uh, some of the kinds of pithy remarks you might expect to find on the podcast itself. Maybe there will be some some Photoshop elements. Maybe there will be some charts, some graphs, uh, and uh, also maybe we'll just tell you about interesting stuff that we've been reading and thinking about. So uh, you're basically going to want to sign up for that as soon as humanly possible. Otherwise, your life is going to fall apart. That's right. One of the I don't things- feel like I over- oversold it there. Do you? No, I feel like you were right on the money. Okay. One of the things that I think is going to be the most exciting about the Breakfast of Champions, Ben, is that there's going to be some opportunities for listeners to uh, contribute, right? Because people keep sending us funny shit via the email, uh, charts, 
just crazy unsourced rants. Yes. And uh, you send us some funny stuff, and that is going to find its way into the Breakfast of Champions. Also, many of you seem to want to correct us on a fact uh, from time to time, uh, claiming that we may have gotten, you know, made some factual error on the podcast, which frankly, I don't see how that's even possible. Uh, but on the off chance that that is the case, you can go ahead, uh, send us your your best errors, omissions, and uh, maybe, you know, maybe if you're right, you'll get your name in one of the, the Breakfast of Champions emails, and maybe if you're wrong, you'll also get your name in one of the Breakfast of Emails cha- uh or Breakfast of Champions emails as we mock you for trying to trying to tell us what's up. Could happen. Anything could happen in Breakfast of Champions. Absolutely anything. It's as real as it gets. Uh, to sign up for that, we're going to have a, a, a handy sign-up box on the uh, website, comainevent.com, coming soon. If you want to get a jump on that, though, before we get the uh, technological aspect of the sign-up thing worked out, uh, you can send us an email. You know, you know how to do that. Just send us an email telling us that you're interested in receiving the Breakfast of Champions, telling us that you're interested in getting in on the ground floor of something great, and uh, we'll go ahead and put you on the list. And then once you decide that you hate it, you can just tell us to take you off the list, and maybe we'll do that. Ben, another exciting announcement for Co-Main Event Podcast number 100. The Co-Main Event Podcast has signed its first ever merchandising deal this week, and hopefully we'll... we'll Please be condoms. We'll have our products out there uh, uh, in the coming weeks. Condoms would be awesome, but we have to say we were a little bit inspired both by uh, Grant Gelinas Brown, who sent us those awesome CME logo coffee mugs. I was enjoying mine this morning. And also uh, CME listener Andrew Lawrence, who who got in touch with us and said, I work for a company that could make you CME branded coffee mug want to. Man, why don't why don't we have any listeners who work for a company that can make us like CME branded surface to air missiles or something? We don't know. They might be out there. Okay. Listen to us on the special military internet. That's right. Uh, so we're going to have that up on the website, a chance for you to uh, to show your love for the CME and also enjoy uh, your favorite caffeinated morning beverage. That's right. Uh, and, you know, basically uh, let everyone in your office or workplace know what the fuck is up. That's right. Because they see you with that CME podcast mug. They know that is not someone to be trifled with. So that's coming soon. Our third announcement, and this one, Ben, is going to be an announcement for you, too, because you don't know it's coming. I don't know anything. Uh, We're going to do the second co-main event podcast, White Elephant Essay Contest, starting next week. Oh, wow. Because we've got this wonderful uh, woodcut by noted MMA artist Chris Rennie. That's right. Uh, of uh, uh, Cain Velasquez pounding the shit out of Bigfoot Silva. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. I've seen that. It's been sitting that. in my office for like a year, and uh, it's burning a hole in our pocket, man. Yeah. we got to give that thing out. I happen to have some other crap uh, hanging around in my office. Uh, so, you know, even if you don't hit the first place jackpot of the wood carving. You can still get yourself a nice prize. Yeah. So, Would it, do we have a uh, like a, a prompt, an essay prompt? We'll come up with those. We'll okay. get those done for you know, next week. If people have suggestions... By all means. Yeah, send them in. We, we got three garbage bags full of sweet-ass MMA swag to send out, too. So, uh, you know, y- y- there's a lot of opportunities to score prizes in the uh, in the CME White Elephant Essay Contest. And I, I want it noted that uh, the, the winner of the last CME Essay Contest uh, for the essay for, um, for Whom the M Tolls about the Eminem Curse walkout uh, music, I mean, I think that one has really... Uh, that has changed the MMA industry. Still I feel comfortable saying that. Yeah. yeah. But enough about us. Let's get on with the show. Five rounds this week for Five episode rounds. 100. In round number one, Tim Kennedy wrestled his way past Michael Bisping last Wednesday night and then jumped on Twitter to call out all the journalists who picked against him. Is this finally the embarrassment we all needed to admit that fight picks are dumb and the only reason that we do them is for clickbait. Clickbait. And in round number two, man, you fuck with the go horse and you get got. And in round number three, Bellator appeared to finalize its four-fight pay-per-view main card this past week, and no, unfortunately, they're not just messing with us. And in round number four, Dana White says Phil Davis doesn't seem to really want it. So... Is it possible that maybe Dana White just really, really hates Anthony Johnson? 
Anything's possible. And in round number five, John Jones fights Glover Tashira at UFC 172 on Saturday. So in honor of that, Ben and I are going to record a two-hour episode of the co-main event podcast and then just delete it and say we got hacked. All that plus are you fucking kidding me just saying stuff and master tweet theater. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. See that? See how I brought it that time after I was criticized? That was strong. Someone publicly call, criticized? Someone called you out this past week. Said it's your in your face. Listener male voice had been getting weak, but that was... Talk that shit now. That was hardy. That was hardy. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Luke Rogers. He writes, With Habib Nurmagomedov's dominant performance over Rafael Dos Anjos and the confirmation... Dos Anjos. That's what we're saying now. Dos, Dos Anjos is what we're saying? Did you not watch the fight? That's what we're saying. Now. I can't say that I paid considerably close attention. to Dose on Joe's. Yeah, but see, see, now we're just going overboard with this shit. I saw. Uh, Tune in next time he fights. It might be something completely different. I think I, it was Ariel Hawani I saw on, on the television the other day saying that he wanted to see Shaq fight Jose Canseco, and I was like, <laughs> man, we've been That's kind of awesome. We've been doing this too much, man. <laughs> Uh, the confirmation that that uh, Nermi is the nine-year-old wrestling a bear on YouTube. What do you guys think is next for the young Dagestani? I know MMA fighters won't admit to dodging any fight, but I don't think that they'll be queuing up to fight Nermi. No, they're already not queuing up to fight Nermi, That's I would right. Think. Well, you know, here's the weird thing about the UFC lightweight division right now, and that is that... It's still in a very strange place, man. You've got uh, Anthony Pettis and Gilbert Melendez uh, on ice, essentially, for the rest of the year because their season of The Ultimate Fighter doesn't even debut until September. Uh, so they're not going to end up fighting until you know November at the earliest, probably uh, end of the year. And then the rest of the top ten, you got guys like TJ Grant, Joss Thompson, and Nate Diaz, all of whom have sort of unclear futures at this point uh, for one reason or another. Uh, and then you you know you round out the top fifteen with guys who have either had their chance at at becoming a, a top uh, one hundred fifty five pound contender like uh you know Gray Maynard and Jim Miller or guys like Miles Jury and Edson Barbosa and Michael Johnson who don't necessarily seem like they're they're ready for that yet like they're still kind of building toward that. Uh, so when you look at the top fifteen, I feel like it's kind of a no brainer that we get uh, Nermi and Donald Cerrone in the cage together at some point. Uh, you know they both just got wins this past weekend. They're both on the on the same schedule. Schedule and you look around the top 15 I, and I don't see a, a ton of other options of guys who are both coming off wins and moving up the charts and uh, might be interested in, in fighting each other. Well, you're assuming that the UFC is not going to uh, stop paying Nate Diaz this funny money and uh, give him some real money so he can put these beatdowns to their maximum effect. Ladies ass whoopings down to their masculine effect. I no, mean, that's, that's what I would like to see. You think that's what's going to happen? I mean, well, I, I don't know if that's what's going to happen. I mean, the guy seems to be kind of resolute about, uh, his financial sticking point here, but I think Nate Diaz and let me, when I look at the, the MMA junkie rankings and Nate Diaz is eight, Nermi is nine. I mean, that seems like the, the best fight that you could make right about now. Uh, and one where, uh, I, cause I feel like if he goes and he fights Donald Cerrone, right? He fights a guy who just lost to the dude that he just beat in Rafael Dos Anjos. Right, but uh, a guy coming off a, a sweet-ass knockout win, uh, albeit one where he was losing right up until the moment that he won. Right. But uh, and also a dude in Donald Cerrone, a dude that is just going to fucking fight anybody. Like, I don't think you're going to have to deal with... Uh, with anybody having any trepidation about fighting Nermi, uh, if you, I think if you go to Donald Cerrone with with anybody's name on the UFC roster, as long as you offer to get him a couple Steve Weisers after it's over, I think that he's gonna gonna jump at that chance. He's got a sponsorship for that man. He doesn't need doesn't need your your pity beer, you know. And I think you're right though that that would and it would be a good opportunity for Nermi because Cerrone is a popular guy who everybody likes to watch fight, uh, and maybe get him back on the main card that way. So yeah, I, I'm obviously not going to complain about uh, a fight between he and Donald Cerrone. I also think, though, it's one of those things where you get to a certain point in the rankings and you don't want to fight backwards, right? Uh, but the guys just ahead of you realize that you're a tougher fight than your ranking really uh, reflects right now. So, man, it, it's tough, I'm sure, and for good reason to get people to agree to fight that guy. Yeah, and you know, I guess I should be saying I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the official UFC rankings. I don't even think they've been updated since this last event, so uh, I wouldn't be surprised. What? They've had two days. 
how do they not get their shit together? Uh, maybe they have been updated. I'm just assuming that they haven't because they got uh, Nurmi hanging around at seven. I would think that he would he would move up a little bit after beating number five, Rafael Dos Anjos. Dos Anjos. Uh, and you know, you might even want to think about sliding Nurmi up there past a guy like TJ Grant or Josh Thompson, who, uh, you know, Josh Thompson coming off a loss and TJ Grant, who's been idle for a while. So you might see the young Dagestani fly up the rankings once we get this thing sorted out. Where does the bear that he fought rank? Uh, I believe he's right behind Rustam Hobolov at number 16. Okay. That seems, that makes sense. That bear getting a little long in the tooth though, these days. You know, but the Russian bears, man, they go on forever. The next question is Dan comes from Dan Yoon. He writes, Yoel Romero looked like a bigger Hector Lombard. <laughs> kind of an insult to the Yoel Romero. Uh, ragdolling uh, Tavares around for three rounds. Just how awesome is the 185-pound division right now? That's your guy right there. That's Yo, my guy. The soldier of God. Not only does the soldier of God come out there and get a huge win over Brad Tavares in what you have to consider as his most complete UFC performance to date, but then he comes to the motherfucking press conference looking like he's going to go out to Orlando's hottest jazz club and sit in on the stand-up bass after it's over. He's got some some uh, some goggles, some glasses on that would make Run DMC, frankly, uh, jealous, and he's wearing the... Uh, the uh, uh, what do you call that hat? That kind of hat he's wearing in there. I don't know. That's not a tam o shanter, is it? I don't. That, that, is that even a hat? What the fuck is that? It just sounds like you're making sounds. <laughs> he had a nice little vest on, as he I recall. He looked good. Oh, I think he's wearing a shirt with different color sleeves in the chest. Oh wow! Yeah, so he's not playing around. Man. I believe it was a denim shirt. In case you were wondering. <laughs> You know, he looked awesome, and I think that it's one of those fights where maybe people don't appreciate uh, exactly what it means to just manhandle a dude like Brad Tavares around like that. Because if you look at Brad Tavares' record, I mean, he wasn't exactly fighting the killers with the middleweight division, but, you know, he was just basically wrestling and taking people down and, and absolutely uh, neutralizing a bunch of fighters. He was on like a five-fight win streak uh, coming into this one, and then... Romero goes in there and just makes him look like he doesn't even belong in the same organization as him. Uh, just did pretty much whatever he wanted. Has, had Tavares so worried about his takedowns that it opens up the striking, so worried about his striking that then you can just toss the guy across the damn cage. That's impressive. That's impressive. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I think is the most impressive about it, uh, and given the fact that, like I said before, this was Yoel Romero's uh, most complete MMA performance, but I think one of the things that's most impressive about it is that he's out there whipping dudes' asses and still looking a little bit like he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. You know, like he hasn't quite put it all together yet. He's sort of a still or maybe a wrestler first and a guy who's still uh, trying to put together the, the, the nuance skill skill set that he needs to to be at the top of his game in mixed martial arts and he's out there still ragdolling people like can you imagine uh if and when the time comes that yoel romero uh is uh, you know has a striking game a, a fluid striking game uh that really complements that grappling game uh in a way that it could like that would be a scary scary dude and i think the only question you got to ask is at 36 years old does he have time to get there yeah see that's what i was going to say is he's got to get to that point pretty quickly because you know a lot of those guys who uh competed in and they were olympians or in amateur wrestling or something for a long time they spent what you might refer as the prime of their career competing for free, basically. So they really got to kick it up a notch uh, when they're pro, like Daniel Cormier. You know, he just his age and, and experience are not exactly matching up the way you would think. And so those guys have to learn quickly. I mean, Romero has fewer than 10 fights. And you look at his record, he might be undefeated if he hadn't kind of got, you know, overmatched against uh, Fejal Cavalcanti pretty early in his career when he really didn't totally know what he was doing and just getting by on you know power and uh being a great athlete who could really wrestle so i think now that you're starting to see him add a few more of those tools you just hope that uh he can really put it all together pretty quickly because that, as this question asker alludes to the middleweight division right now looking pretty damn interesting there's a lot of fun fights you could make for that guy up next you know i mean you look at at, at the rankings especially you know, you got the guys like Jacques Array and, you know, presumably Vitor Belfort's going to pull it together and come back at some point. Uh, you got guys like Machida in there in the division. Uh, and then, as I'm sure we'll talk later about Tim Kennedy, Michael Bisping, those guys, guys like Luke Rockhold. I mean, there's a lot of interesting fighters out there at middleweight now. The field seems pretty wide open. So 
man, I, I would love to see that guy get a jump up in competition just so we can kind of find out exactly where he's at because it doesn't seem like guys like Brad Tavares can really push him very much. That's my dog. That's your guy, Yoel Romero. Yoel Romero. Uh, next question what, is: did, uh, did traffic just go crazy on SoldierOfGod.com? Yeah, you're, you're the website administrator really for that, spiked. right? Yes, yeah, SoldierOfGod.com. Yeah, it's actually SoldierOfGod.tv, uh, but uh, we're working on that. Next question this week comes to us from Omar from Baltimore, which huh. is synergy because <laughs> the UFC is going to Baltimore this weekend. Omar writes. Uh, UFC on Fox 11 got a series low 1.98 million ra- ratings. Is that, is that correct? Something is that, like that. It says 1.98 M, so I assume that means 1.98 million, right? Good detective work. Uh, the, exec, the excuse brigade has already started, but at what point does the MMA media get worried about declining ratings and pay-per-view buy rates? If nothing else, one has to realize that if interest in the sport reaches a certain point, it would no longer... Uh, be profitable to cover MMA on a major basis. Follow up. At what point does the MMA media start to address this issue and discuss what the driving force is behind these low numbers? It's one thing to worry silently, but it's another to openly discuss an issue. Uh, will oversaturation ever get the same coverage that TRT slash PEDs got? Well, for one thing, uh, I don't think it's really our role to try and get people to watch so that we will still have a job. I mean, obviously, we hope we still have a job, and we hope that the UFC doesn't drive this thing into the ground uh, just trying to expand too far too fast. And I do think that that is a, a good point that he's bringing up here. I mean, I think that that plays a lot into it. I mean, obviously, when you have these kind of shows and there's all other things going on in the sporting world that people might be interested in, like, say, you go to Canada uh, for a show on the first night of the NHL playoffs. Yeah, you might see a little dip in attendance there. You know, there are, there are competing factors out there that can help explain some of the, the ratings. But I do think that... One of the big problems is that when there's so many UFC fights, there's just so much like promotional noise out there that it's hard for fans to really get the message, okay, wait, no, this one really matters. This is the one you should circle on your calendar and make sure to be there for. You make it tougher on yourself that way. Yeah, and I think that this actually is probably an issue that the MMA media uh, is going to start looking into in a more... Uh uh, you know, pointed way now that we've, we've had this, uh, these declining ratings numbers have kind of become a trend now. I, I would think that, uh, this is not going to be the kind of thing that is just going to go unnoticed. I know that, uh, you know, Bleacher Report has Jonathan Snowden working on something about the declining numbers. I'm sure that, uh, that, MMA junkie probably is is not going to uh, miss out, not going to miss that storyline. It seems pretty obvious. And, you know, Cage Potato already had one uh, this this past week about de- declining ratings. So I think it's going to be something that you start to see become more of an issue, uh, which is probably going to make Dana White pop a vein uh, in the middle of his forehead, since we know that, that that's one of his things, uh, is he kind of kind of has a little freak out every time people write uh, rating stories that, right. that, that, that he doesn't like, that the UFC doesn't like. Were, were you not surprised to hear that this one got the a series low because this was one that we said beforehand on paper looks like one of the better fox cards we've seen and then you know actually in practice turned out to be pretty awesome uh, i was surprised that this one did not do well yeah i was a little bit surprised but at the same time it's uh it's still an issue where when you're putting cards on fox number one i don't know uh you know if you I, I'm still not quite sure what moves the needle. You know, I don't know if there was guys on this card that that were going to draw in like the the so-called casual viewer that that we always hear about. That uh, you know is the is the uh, the audience base that the UFC really actually probably needs to worry about. I, I don't know that you had guys like that on this card. Uh, and you know, secondly, I think you kind of hit the hit the nail on the head when you were talking about the number of shows. It's just like it's hard for the UFC to be appointment viewing now the way it used to be, just because you know uh, you've got uh, a fight pass show and then you've got tough nations and then you've got this this fox card and then you've got ufc 172 all in such quick succession that if you're not really really following the sport closely it's easy to miss one or to just get confused or to not be able to track the ascension of the of the stars that are supposed to be the guys that draw you in to watch the show because you didn't see their last fight or their last two fights you know i think that's that true. that's a that's an issue that we're going to have to deal with uh in the immediate future like if the ufc is going to continue on doing 57,000 shows a year like how are they going to uh you know, differentiate the 
ones that that are the ones that that they really hope to score a good rating with, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the thing that I want, and I mean, this seems, you tell me if, if you think I'm wrong, but it seems to me like just from what you know, I hear from fans on Twitter, and just from what you the, the sense you get from uh, the really like hardcore MMA fans is that uh, there is I don't want to say anger, but like a changing attitude toward the UFC itself, like as a company. Like people are are more negative toward the UFC, even if they really like the fights or they have certain fighters that they like. The, their attitude toward the company itself uh, seems to be changing, and I, I don't know if, if some of it is that with stuff like Fight Pass or whatever, or they they feel like uh, the UFC is just trying to get in their pocket too much, or if it's that the UFC has been a little bit more brazen. It seems lately with certain ways where it'll tell you, hey, you know, this is. This is the truth when clearly people who have been following the sport can tell, no, that's obviously a lie. I mean, there's a lot of things that they say in the promotional materials. Like you, you see that stuff for the Ultimate Fighter where they say the first time in Ultimate Fighter history, a fighter doesn't have to fight to get in the house. And it's like, well, that's just not true. Like any of your fans know that that's not true. Why lie about, you know, stupid stuff like that? Like, and I feel like there's more of a, uh, like a mistrustful attitude toward the UFC among the fans where before it was kind of a, hey, we're all in this together, like the underdogs of the sports world. Those days seem like they're over, and it seems like that has to be changing some of the, like when you start losing some of those hardcore viewers who you used to be able to count on anytime you had a Fox show. Yeah, I know. I think that's a totally valid point. I think that, uh, I always kind of go back to the idea that none of us fully understood how much uh, the landscape of the sport, and if you will excuse the cliche, like the fabric of the sport was going to change, uh, in the wake of this Fox deal. You know, when it got signed a few years ago, it was, it was pretty much unilaterally hailed as like a, a, a huge, uh, mainstream success for the UFC. And, and I think as it happened, nobody really understood what it meant and that, you know, that we were going to encounter this new MMA world where the UFC was going to be responsible for doing, uh, more and more programming and that, that, uh, you know, everyone's job was going to get, uh, a lot harder within the company. And, uh, you know, I, I think, so you, I think you had that. And then I think you had the fact that for whatever reason, the UFC has gotten a little bit more, uh, in your face, if you will, the last couple of years, uh, it, it just in terms of trying to, uh, to pass off, uh, various, you know, to control the narrative and would control you the narrative, I guess you but, would say. And then, you know, I don't think you help matters when you go out and trash a dude like George St. Pierre. Uh, absolutely not. And, uh, and, and, you know, in the process run the risk of, of alienating, uh, Canadian fans who have always been among the most hardcore fans in the world. So I think it's like a, uh, 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 coming together of a bunch of different factors. Well, you know, as you said, and, and I guess we'll, we'll move on here, but the thing about the hailing the, the Fox deal is a huge mainstream change. I mean, I remember uh, that that was at least, you know, Dana White's take on it at first was, and a lot of people's take was that, hey, this is this is the thing. This is the, the huge change in, in MMA. Now we've made it. Now we're big time. And I remember writing a column right after that announcement of saying that I don't know if that's really going to be the case because I think that, we underestimate at this point the the visibility of MMA in our culture that people have mostly they know what it is now. It's not the same kind of thing where people are like, oh, what, there are people fighting in cages? Tell me more. I have not heard about this. I mean, most people know about it and they formed an opinion about it. And it's not the thing holding it back at this point is not availability. It's that some people are just not going to be into that and other people are. And then I think that the UFC's response for, for years and years has just been like, okay, these people we got. Screw it. We won't worry about them anymore. Like they kind of take that for granted. Uh, right. Let's let's go after you know the people we don't have rather than serving the the fans who have who have been riding with us from day one. And I think that that is a mistake. And I think some of those dipping ratings numbers uh, are maybe a sign of that. Yeah, and I think I mean in terms of like the casual fan, I don't think you can also underestimate. Uh, the impact that that was had taking the UFC off of Spike and putting it on FX and then taking it up off, off FX and putting it on Fox Sports 1 which you know as hardcore MMA fans is a channel that's totally on our radar at this point but like just in terms of of sports fans or maybe even like the you know the male 18 to 35 year old demographic like I'm not sure that Fox Sports 1 is like a pit stop for no. those people yet uh you know I always scoffed at this in the past but the idea that people would just stop by Spike TV and watch whatever 
MMA was on because they knew. because they knew that that was that that would be there and that it was kind of a destination for MMA. But like I think what you're seeing from Bellator ratings, uh, you know, recently kind of kind of makes that seem like it's true. Like or what you there's saw about eight hundred thousand people out there that will just do that. Or what you saw when uh, the UFC would counter program live UFC events, sometimes live network UFC events with old UFC fights on Spike. And would do, you know, would get like a million or two million people to tune in and watch that. I mean, that that proves that there is some of that going on. That people had kind of bookmarked Spike in their minds as that's a place where I can go and maybe there's a fight on. And it's not so with Fox Sports 1. I mean, maybe that'll change. Let's do one more uh, from Darcy LeDrew. After seeing Misha Tate fight Liz Carmouche, I was... Wait, wait, wait. Read, read the question as written, Chad Dundas. Okay. After seeing Misha easy on the eyes Tate fight Liz Carmouche... Send I was, your complaints to Darcy LeDrew. I was a little bit shocked to see Tate get the win. Now, see, is that a reference to anything, or is that just Darcy LeDrew coming out and saying he's a Misha Tate guy? I think that's the latter. All right. I think, I think I've, Darcy I've, LeDrew I've, just wants us to know that he sees what Misha Tate is doing and he likes it. Okay. <laughs> All right. He goes on. Granted, her third round rally was the most eventful part of the fight and nearly led to a rear naked choke twice. I know this is a bit of a dead horse, but doesn't this sort of fight make the 10 point must system seem even more questionable? I saw Misha doing the most damage and almost getting a submission, but Carmouche controlled Tate for almost two full rounds. Uh, if there were half points, I would have scored the first two rounds 10 to 9 point five for Carmouche, with the third round being a ten nine for Tate. Do you think that a half point system might fix some of the scoring issues by scoring grappling grappling heavy, but a rel, uh, relatively but a relatively damage or submission free round ten ten to nine point five uh damage slash finishing is emphasized over pure control? No, I don't think that that would be a solution necessarily because I think that you could have easily scored the third round a 10-8 for Misha Tate. Which I personally I did. I thought I thought we were going to get a draw. That's what I thought it was. You know, but I don't give uh, both those first two rounds to Liz Carmouche just for taking Tate down and holding her legs. Like, she didn't do anything with the takedowns. I mean, you have to, like, in order for, for me to consider that that's you winning, like, it can't just be that you sit her down on her butt against the cage and then you hold on to her legs for dear life while she elbows you. Uh, until, you know, either the ref makes you stand up or Misha Tate pushes you away and gets back to her feet. I mean, I just don't think that that is, that should necessarily win you around. I don't think, I mean, a takedown has to lead to something, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, as a, as like a general point, I would agree with that. I think so. But like, I mean, I, I always come back to, uh, a fight where in a fight where nothing else happens besides okay. that, then the only thing you really have to go on is like uh position positional advantage. You know, like if, uh, let's say Misha Tate beats up Liz Carmouche for a minute and 30 seconds in the first round. And then Carmouche takes her down and is there for another minute and 30 seconds. And then they get back up and, and the striking is fairly even uh, for the final two minutes of the, of the round. I would still give that round to Misha Tate for doing the most damage, but like in, in, in the event that a grappler can just take you down and full on control you and not give you the, 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 the chance to do anything else. Ah, I still think you got to give that round to the grappler until we come up with some better way to do it. But then I think that there, you know, this half point question does at least raise the question about, uh, you know, giving them the round. It shouldn't be a thing of just like, okay, very little happened. You did slightly more than me in that round. So therefore you get it by the, you know, and it counts the same as if in the later round, I just beat the shit out of you and you barely survive. Like those two things should not be weighted equally. You know, there, there should be, whether it's just get convincing judges to use 10 eights and even 10 tens, uh, more liberally than they do right now. Cause right now, like if it's just 10 nine, you know, barely winning around 10 nine, uh, beat the hell out of them 10 nine, like that does not really reflect what's going on in the right. fight. Right. No, I agree with you. I think we've still got a ways to go in, in figuring out scoring and, and, you know, figuring out how to, uh, evaluate the stuff that happens in an MMA fight. It's a super hard fight or a super hard sport to score just because of how like diverse the action can be at times. Uh, but that's going to do it this week for listener mail. If you have a question, a comment, a concern to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you can hit us up by going to the website comainevent.com and clicking the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Uh, make sure to go there to sign up for the uh, Breakfast of Champions too uh, until we get that worked out. As for right now though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one.
Well, Ben, uh, Tim Kennedy scored an upset victory over Michael Bisping uh, last Wednesday night at the Tough Nations finale. The upset part, I think, has been uh, lost to history at this point. Uh, so let's just start here. Uh, awesome move or not awesome move for Tim Kennedy to go on the internets after it was over uh, and, uh, uh, you know, playfully, I guess you would say, call out the, the media for overwhelmingly pick picking uh, Bisping here. I'm going to say awesome move. I'm also going to admit that I was one of the few people to pick Tim, Tim Kennedy in this fight. And we did our MMA junkie picks. And I think, uh, only myself and Matt Erickson, uh, picked Tim Kennedy. Everybody else went with Bisping. Uh, so when he's like, yeah, the media were like two for 31 or whatever, like we're the two. Uh, so, but I think it's awesome because for one, like, everybody else tries to act like they don't look at that stuff. And yeah. I appreciate Tim Kennedy's honesty, uh, being like, yeah, I saw, I saw you fuckers. I saw you people who, who picked against me. Uh, and he did it. He did do it playfully. It's not like he was mad about it. Like, I think that, uh, you know, Tim Kennedy's always a guy who has a good sense of humor. So I, I enjoyed that kind of stuff, especially when I get to be on the right side of it. Right. Uh, it does, uh, bear mentioning that both Bleacher Report lead writers who engage in such things picked Tim Kennedy, uh, Jeremy Botter and Jonathan Snowden. How about you? Uh, you know, I don't do that. They don't, they don't make you do that. I mean, I don't do it either until they make me. No, man. Obviously, I suck at it. I'm almost, I'm like kind of just trying to claw out of last place. Until somebody comes to my house and says that I have to do it. I'm not doing it. They have it. to physically show up here? <laughs> physically show up at the house, knock on the door. And they don't me, want that. They don't want to be I here in the north it. side. It's not worth it. It does beg the point, though. Like, uh, one of the things that always strikes me about this, and one of the reasons that we made one of the solemn vows for the Co-Main Event podcast way back in episode one, be that we weren't really going to do a formal fight-picking uh, thing, uh, is that we don't know, like nobody knows. Like, I, I don't know that if sure dog did a pros pick thing or they asked professional MMA fighters to pick Bisping versus Kennedy, but like a bunch of those guys would have got it wrong too. Like nobody, well, you know, nobody think, knows. And, and that's why there's the sports cliche. That's why they play the games. Well, and I think fighters of anything, uh, are often, less reliable because they have more emotional attachment to right. it. They know this guy. They trained with that guy. You know, they, they got beat by that guy. They hate this guy. You know, they are affected more by stuff like that, I think, than just like picking some people who follow the sport and saying, hey, what do you think? But you're right. I mean, people who try and act like, like, you know, they're really super into the fight picks. It's just a fun thing to talk about beforehand. If you were that good at it, like if I was that good at fight picks, I wouldn't be doing this shit, man. I would quit and I would bet on fights professionally, uh, you know, because why wouldn't you if you knew you were that good at it? I just can't wait to come over to your house and you're sitting there and you're with your green uh, plastic visor on. <laughs> you got a cigarette holder, like a long cigarette holder. Uh, yeah. Looking and, at the racing form for some reason. I And like one of the things that I think gets misjudged about fight picks is that like when I used to have to do them for ESPN, I would spend... Uh, as little time as possible doing them just because like it was kind of a thing that we did extra wasn't necessarily stuff that we got paid for. Uh, so it was kind of like, I don't know, man, show up and like fill out the thing and, and email it in and then, uh, forget about it until fight night and then have to look to see who I picked. Yeah, Cause it doesn't matter. It's not like you're going to lose your job if you're bad at fight picks. It's not why you're there. Right. And that was like one of the things that eventually I had to be like, you know what? This is dumb. I'm not doing this anymore. Especially since like, man, you go five and oh at an event silence you go zero and five some motherfuckers are gonna hit you up on twitter that you don't know just to taunt you about it yeah well and here's the thing too i mean when people you know now we do the picks thing and people always talk to me about picks and stuff on twitter or whatever you know and it's it's fun banter for the most part uh but this was one where i felt like uh and Michael Bisping inspires strong feelings on both sides, uh, where people who are Michael Bisping fans were like, you're crazy. Bisping knocks him out later in the fight, which, you know, then makes me be like, really? Michael Bisping is going to be the guy to, to finish off Tim Kennedy, who really doesn't get finished? Uh, Michael Bisping, the guy who doesn't really finish people? Okay, if you say so. Uh, but, I, I mean, as far as the fight itself, I thought uh, a somewhat predictable plan by Tim Kennedy, but one that worked way better than I would have thought that it would. You know, like I can understand how you'd think like, hey, uh, especially a guy like Tim Kennedy, who is just hell on top uh, from what everybody says, you know, that you want to get Michael Bisping down. However, right. when we've seen people pursue that plan in the past of like, hey, I'm going to take Bisping down and just out wrestle him, they usually find out 
Yeah, he's kind of a better wrestler than you right. think he is, Not especially a defensive easy. wrestler. Those people usually end up getting punched in the face a million times over five rounds. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, it's one thing, like, some people are able to do the thing where, hey, you get him down and he pops right back up, or you get him down and you have to expend all your energy just keeping him there that you don't really get any offense going. And Kennedy didn't do that. I mean, he was passing guard. He was getting a side control, getting a full mount. I mean, he was it was a really aggressive top game right. uh, from Tim Kennedy. No, and served yeah. him well. And I think that was that's one of the reasons why this was a really impressive win for Tim Kennedy. Uh, and and I guess I, I kind of wanted to spend a couple minutes talking about what we think it means for Tim Kennedy in the middleweight division because as a uh, you know an emailer asked at the top of the show or, or an emailer uh, asserted at the top of the show the, the middleweight division right now pretty awesome there's a lot of guys out there uh, creeping on a come up and a lot of guys that I think would make would make awesome fights for each other uh, and you got to consider Tim Kennedy right there quote unquote in the mix with all those guys now that he's three and zero in the UFC and his has won uh, four fights overall. Like, what kind of guy do you think he is for the UFC now? We talked about this before the fight. Uh, you know, Kennedy comes in with a uh, a life story that I think makes him uh, marketable for the UFC and also, uh, you know, is a, is a, a quick-witted guy, a guy who seems to uh, be good at doing media stuff. He seems like he would be marketable for the UFC, uh, but also seems like a dude who gets himself in trouble with the power structure sometimes uh, by, by saying, you know, essentially what he really thinks, for lack of a better term. Like, how do you see him in the middleweight division now? Do you think that he's a guy who can be a, uh, can, can continue being a, uh, like a, a live TV main event guy or, or, or where do you think he fits in? Well, especially with his style, I was just thinking, especially, you know, you see it in the Bisping fight. If I were him, I would try to make sure I fought nothing but main event fights because he's a guy who wants five rounds to work. You know, I, that style he had against Bisping, you know, if you try that in a three round fight, uh, it could get a little dicey. Then you're, you're putting a lot more faith in the judges. If you have five rounds, it's going to make that case. Uh, it works better for a guy like him, uh, especially a guy who, you know, you don't really worry about him getting tired too much. Uh, but I think that, you know, he's probably gotten better with dealing with the UFC power structure. He got a new deal, uh, and it sa- sounded like to hear him tell it, you know, he kind of went in there and what he said was he told him, you know, I'm not going to argue with you over money. I'm just going to tell you who I want to fight and where I want to fight. Uh, and, you know, here's why I think I should get those fights. So, I mean, I think that's the kind of thing where maybe, you know, the UFC might be willing to change their attitude on the guy. And if you look what he did for you, you know, he, he main evented that, uh, fight for the troop show where he gets a first round knockout. Uh, and then you know, he goes ahead and, and make sure to really sell this, this tough nations finale thing, which man, you take that fight off of that card and you got nothing. You got right. bubkiss on right. that thing. You know what I'm saying? You, especially trying to get Canadians to come out there on the first day of the hockey playoffs. Hell no, man. You need a guy like that who can go out there and do that for you. And hopefully the UFC realizes that Tim Kennedy really helped you out there. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Hey, Tim Kennedy versus the Soldier of God. Is that so crazy? That sounds like a fun one to me. It seems fun to me, too. Uh, before I forget, I just want to mention how awesome it was that uh, Raphael Natal jumped on Twitter uh, to take extreme pleasure in Michael Bisping's loss in this fight. Kind of weird, because right? Because Michael Bisping had previously disparaged Tim Kennedy's uh, like previous opponents, one of whom was Raphael Natal, who got knocked out by Tim Kennedy in the first round uh, last November. So it was sort of like... Raphael Natal took some pride in the fact that the guy who beat him then beat Michael Bisping, yeah. who had disparaged Raphael Natal in the most roundabout possible yeah. way. Yeah, just indirectly disparaged Raphael Natal. I like that, I, I, especially because it's like, hey, man, you know, your your basketball team uh, gets knocked out of the tournament. Well, at least you want the people who beat you to go on and win the whole thing because then you lost to the champs, right? You could have been second place for all you know. Let's talk for a minute about what this means for Michael Bisping, just because uh, he really comes out of this fight looking like he's got, uh, you know, some catching up to do in terms of being a middleweight contender. I didn't even really realize it when the fight got over until I had a few minutes to sit around and think about it. Like he is 35 years old now, is is coming off uh, almost a year away from the sport to have uh, uh, surgery for a t- detached retina, uh, which had complications. Uh, the last five times he has fight, he's, has fought, he's two and three. Uh, his wins are, are over Alan Belcher, which was kind of a, a weird one, uh, and uh, over Brian Stan back at UFC 152. Did we see Tim Kennedy uh, wrestle Michael Bisping right out of the uh, career uh, title 
picture. Like, it's going to be hard for Michael Bisping to get back in this thing, don't you think? It is, especially because, like we said before, you know, he's not really known as a big finisher. So, you know, how are you going to make your case and get back there? Like, you'd have to rack up uh, several decisions. I mean, again, people care about Michael Bisping, kind of whatever he's doing. So that gives him a a little bit uh, more of a a runway to, to get something going there. But you're right. I mean, this is one where you look at that and you think, Especially with the eye stuff, which I still wonder about in what kind of shape his eye is in. Right. He got hit with a lot of Tim Kennedy's overhand rights. And took him. I mean, to yeah. his credit, did not yeah. get knocked out. Kind of made the Michael Bisping, uh, you know, goofy face that he makes, like when uh, Dan Henderson knocked him out, but was still standing there at the end of it. Let's be honest. Anybody who gets punched like that by Dan Henderson is going to make that exact same face. <laughs> we just think that about Michael Bisping because we've seen that replay a million times. Oh, not to, and not to mention the, the photo shots, which are, are numerous and hilarious. But yeah, I mean, this is one where I still think that, you know, people are going to pay to see him fight. You can still build interesting fights up for Michael Bisping, but if he's smart, he might want to start doing that subtle transition that some guys do to where instead of trying to climb up the rankings, you look for guys that you can beat and make an interesting fight out of it uh, so that you can keep hanging around and keep getting paid. I just wonder if he has the the type of self-awareness to to make that admission to himself. I, I question if he does. So wait, you're, you're recommending that he goes Chael Sonnen style and starts getting on Wikipedia and uh, reading real close to see if it says Rich Franklin is still an active fighter in the UFC? I'm just saying it wouldn't hurt. All right. If Michael Bisping, if this is it for Michael Bisping, the top of the hill for him, he never really gets back to that contender status he had a couple of years ago. Does he go down in the history of the UFC as maybe uh, one of the best guys to never fight for a title? Uh, because he got right to the precipice a couple of times, but then always lost those title eliminators, never got into the to the five-round fight that, that we thought he might have had. And maybe part of that is is that because he was viewed as, uh, or that Anderson Silva, rather, was viewed as such a nightmarish matchup for Michael Bisping. Uh, Rightly we, we, so. We, yeah, exactly. We would have thought that uh, maybe he would have... Uh, uh, you know, enjoyed some new life in the middleweight division now that Chris Weidman is the champion, but then he loses this fight to Tim Kennedy. Does he go down as maybe the best middleweight fighter to never fight for the title? I don't, I don't know if I would go so far as to say maybe the best middleweight to never fight for the title, but he, you know, he's up there. Again, though, I mean, if you look at Michael Bisping's record and, you know, he's a good fighter. I think better than, than people give him credit for just because they don't like him as a person. Um, but if you look on there, I mean, tell me, what do you think is the most impressive win michael bisping has uh buh, 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 put me on the spot here most impressive win uh chris lieben dan miller yeah akiyama well alan belcher brian stan i would the stan win i guess is is pretty nice the lieben win i mean he wore lieben out in that fight too like that one was not even close that was a that was an impressive performance by him so uh maybe i don't know yeah, I'm just saying that it doesn't seem like there's not like one where you can be like, man, here's one where Michael Bisping went in there against one of the dudes who was really one of the top middleweights at the time and just put it on his ass. Uh, I don't know, man. I mean, like he's he's had some some good fights against some good guys uh, where he did enough to win decisions. I, I don't know if he has that one big signature win that really makes you look back and think like, oh, OK, that's the Michael Bisping fight. I want to go back and, and queue up on Fight Pass right now. All right, well, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, uh, this week, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? goes out to every single thing about last week's fight between Sam Stout and KJ Nunes. Uh, first of all, you had two lightweights showing up to a nationally televised fight and deciding, hey, man, you know what? Let's just go ahead and do this thing at 170. Are you fucking kidding me? And then after that, they try to spin it like they somehow did that for the fans. Yeah, They're like, just oh, we want to have an exciting fight for the fans. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? And then KJ Noons goes out there and blasts Sam Stout in the fucking black land. And Sam Stout forces a tap out submission victory from the referee. Are you fucking kidding me? That's kind of awesome. And then KJ Noons goes backstage and calls out Nick Diaz. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? Nick Diaz wants half a million dollars in a title shot. But yeah, now I'm sure he's going to be drop his fucking throwing knives in mid toss (laughs) and be like, I'm coming out of retirement to fight KJ Noons. Are you fucking kidding me? I mean, I love it. I love everything about it. But are you fucking kidding kidding me? me. Well, Chad, my are you fucking kidding me? It's kind of a a dual one. It goes out to two people, uh, both of whom 
seem to have had a little like strategy meeting and come up with the same talking point. Those people are Ronda Rousey and UFC president Dana White. Huh. They're on the same page, huh? How about that? Weird. Uh, both of whom now seem to be claiming that the reason to keep Cyborg out of the UFC and not ever even consider giving her a title shot uh, is because of her past steroid use. Well, we know that's not true. Well, and see, here's the thing. Uh, you know, Ronda Rousey floated the idea that it should be a zero tolerance policy that once you uh, test positive for steroids once, that that should be kind of it, that you're effectively banned from the UFC. UFC, which clearly look the fuck around is not something the UFC is interested in doing. Uh, also this quote from Ronda Rousey, I've said before, I don't care if she's injecting horse semen into her eyeballs, not something you'd do. Uh, I'll fight her, but that's just my personal decision. This girl has been on steroids for so long and has been injecting herself for so long that she's not even a woman anymore. She's an it. It's not good for the women's division. It's not good at all. Now, first of all, she has the one failed steroid test. Ronda Rousey is just assuming that she's been doing it for years. Uh, and Dana White made the same point uh, in a, the media scrum after the fight this week where he said, hey, you know, every time I do one of these, you guys always want to talk about drugs and drug testing and all this stuff. But then you also want to talk about cyborg. I mean, hey, where's, you know, kind of that, that it's a, a double standard there. You fucking kidding me? You you want to let other steroid users get back in the UFC? Sometimes a multiple stero- multiple time steroid test failures still get to, to fight in the UFC. You want to complain that the media is crucifying Vitor Belfort? Poor, poor Vitor Belfort, who he has a positive steroid test in his past. But for Cyborg, it's a one strike and you're out kind of situation. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding Nobody me? Nobody is buying that shit. We know you just don't want to have her fight. Well, the media got what they wanted. That's all I know. That's going to do it for round number one. We will be right back with round number two. Well, Chad, the go-horse Fabrizio Verdum was also an underdog this weekend in the main event at UFC on Fox 11. And then he went out there and just basically clowned Travis Brown for most of the five-round fight, winning a unanimous decision victory and kind of just putting everyone on notice that Fabrizio Verdum ain't no joke. Go yeah, horse, son. That's right. Didn't go on the internet and call out the media for picking against him, but... Did go on the post-fight show and demand to know who the analyst had picked <laughs> against right. him. Turned out both of them had. <laughs> uh, let me tell you my favorite moment of this uh, uh, Fabrizio Verdum-Travis Brown fight. And By all means. I wrote about this on, on Bleacher Report this week. Uh, third round, Fabrizio Verdum is already having it his way. Uh, and enjoying himself. Yes, to such an extent is he enjoying himself that he decides, you know what? I'm going to do some spinning shit. I'm going to go ahead and try to do a weird spinning foot sweep, low kick thing. He does it, obviously screws it up, right? Uh, ricochets off Travis Brown's thigh and Travis Brown just kind of shoves him down to the mat. Now, in any other situation, this could be a disaster for the dude who threw the weird spinning low foot sweep. In this instance, however, Travis or Fabrizio Verdum just smiles, beckons Travis Brown to come down on the ground with him when uh, we get it reaffirmed that the American wants no part of that. Fabrizio Verdum rears back and does a kip up mm-hmm. like motherfucking in his prime Shawn Michaels just springs <laughs> back to his feet. We're, we're like 12, 13 minutes into a heavyweight title fight in their heavyweight title eliminator in the ufc that's a small moment in the fight but when that happened i'm sitting at home and i thought oh oh this the travis brown is not coming back and that's a six foot four inch 235 pound 36 year old man doing the Shawn michaels i thought to myself this thing is already broken for travis brown he he's not putting this back together you know Uh, and not only that but he was just in there mixing up his combos at times you know like doing the thing like basically like hey look over your shoulder travis brown i'm playing hey you know having a good time joking around in his corner uh just bashing travis brown in the face and talking to him i mean after something like that and i know people are going to be like oh he could have finished him didn't didn't put him away Man, I don't even care about something like that. I, what do you want him to do? He's punching him at will. I don't really hold it against the guy that he doesn't decide to 
just go berserker trying to murder the guy and get him out of there. I mean, you're winning the fight. You obviously know what the stakes are. It's not one of those situations where, hey, maybe if you are impressive, you'll get a title shot. He was told, win this fight and you get a title shot. He's winning the fight. I don't know why we necessarily expect him to take a, an undue amount of risk to try and finish the fight. Yeah, and I thought it was an impressive performance. I really did. Uh, especially, you know, knowing the way that a five-round heavyweight fight can kind of go in the in the crapper uh, with lesser individuals out there. I thought this was a g- great performance for Fabricio Verdum. Goes out there, looks super tight and efficient with his, his strikes and uh, – you know, mixes in some kicks nicely and, uh, and then obviously just suffocates Travis Brown and, and wears him out on the ground. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a performance where you still don't know how he's going to fare against Kane Velasquez because everything we've seen from Velasquez leads us to believe that he's just kind of leaps and bounds ahead of the competition at this point. But I'll say this for Fabricio Verdum. He didn't come into the weekend looking like a particularly dangerous challenger for Kane Velasquez. I think he comes out of the weekend looking a hell of a lot more capable of, of that upset as well than he than at least he looked coming in. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it before that I – if you'd asked me before this fight, I said, you know, I thought Travis Brown would be a more dangerous opponent for Cain Velasquez. Now it doesn't seem like, I mean, now that you see Fabricio Verdum's kickboxing game really has a, a lot going on in him, and he still seems like he's not as quick as Velasquez, and a lot of guys, uh, even if they can handle Velasquez at the beginning of a fight, that pace, that just constant pace really wears them down, and it might be the same for him, but at the same time, here you got a guy who, uh, if you do take him down at some point in that fight, He's dangerous off his back, so you've got to consider that as well. I mean, he does have some interesting tools uh, to use against Cain Velasquez, and I think that's the thing that really makes me interested in this fight now is not necessarily that I think that he's going to win. I mean, I think if Cain Velasquez comes in there 100% and not diminished from his time off uh, and, and his injuries at all, I still think he wins that fight just because Cain Velasquez is an awesome heavyweight. But I do think it's a it's a competitive fight, and we'll get to see a different kind of challenge for Cain Velasquez, uh, which right there makes me interested in this fight. I mean, I, I, like you said, got a whole lot more interested in it after seeing what Fabricio Verdum can do to a guy like Travis Brown. I mean, I think people are kind of chipping away at it after the fact, but Travis Brown was a, a, a streaking heavyweight contender that, that people were taking really seriously, knocked out some tough guys, some some MMA veterans, and then Fabricio Verdum went in there and clowned him. I yeah. mean, people say afterwards, oh, Brown had a broken hand or he broke his ribs man he didn't get that stuff just gardening like he got it in the fight i mean that's that's how a fight goes so i i don't know why we should uh use that to diminish what fabricio Verdun was able to do in that fight yeah it's one of the reasons i don't garden is that too much too dangerous out there i thought it was because your uh, your delicate skin can't handle that much exposure to the sun yeah and also just countless allergies to plant life uh, well, you know, maybe this was sort of a in case we forgot type performance from Fabricio Verdum where, you know, I think he comes out and looks a lot more capable in, in all facets of the game than he had in the past. But this is also a situation where he only fought once during 2013 because he got himself roped into uh coaching on the ultimate fighter Brazil against uh, Roderick Nog. Uh, so, you know, Travis Brown came in with an awful lot of of. Uh, momentum. We had just seen him destroy Josh Barnett and Gabriel Gonzaga with those weird, uh, possibly illegal elbows. Uh, totally illegal. I just say that because I know it gets your goat. Um, and then also had the, the enormous come from behind, uh, front kick KO of, of Alistair Overeem. He was a guy that certainly was on our minds and, uh, you know, was the betting favorite coming into this fight. But Fabricio Verdun was a guy we just, we hadn't seen for a while. Um, so maybe it was, uh, uh, one of our one of these modern sports tendencies that we have to think that the thing that we just saw was the greatest thing of all time and kind of overlook the guy who's been uh, under the radar for a little while. That could be, you know, but I think that uh, this was one of those where now I think we're no longer like we're in the territory for the Fabrizio Verdum where before it was he was the guy who beat Fedor, right? Like that was his thing. And now he's strung enough wins together uh, and a couple quality wins in the UFC now that you can say, okay, this is a guy who is a legitimate heavyweight contender, uh, you know, could be uh, in the running there for the best heavyweight in the world. And at least, you know, he he made his case for a title shot. You can't say he doesn't deserve to, to get his shot there. Uh, but now I think that, he, you know, he doesn't want to be remembered as the dude, you know, who beat Fedor. He doesn't want that to be the sum total of his legacy. That's something that he said before this fight. 
And if you're going to do that now, the only thing you can do is actually become UFC heavyweight champion because all this stuff, I think that, you know, the win over Travis Brown, how awesome he looked in that one or how awesome he looked against Roy Nelson uh, or even just, you know, submitting Roderick Nog uh, with ease. That stuff is going to be forgotten if you just are another guy who made it up there to the title shot and got run through by Cain Velasquez. If you're going to really be something other than just the, the Fedor killer, you got to become champ. And it's a, that's a tall order, man. Yeah, if he becomes UFC heavyweight champion and, and does it by beating Cain Velasquez, that does a lot to make, uh, that victory over Fabrizio, or for, over Fedor Emelianenko look a lot less, for lack of a better term, flukish. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think if he becomes heavyweight champion, then you're looking at a situation where you have to regard, uh, Fabricio Verdum's mid thirties comeback as like a significant event, like a, one of the greater, uh, turnaround late, career performances that we've seen in the sport. Uh, let's talk for a minute before we, we move on about uh, Travis Brown, though, because, you know, as much as Fabricio Verdun gains from this victory, I feel like uh, Travis Brown, uh, uh, you know, lost a, a step here. And and not to say that, that he's finished as a contender, because I actually think the exact opposite, but he definitely came out of this fight uh, looking a lot less ready to be UFC heavyweight number one contender uh, than we than we thought heading in. Um, I had occasion that this the week before the fight i was doing a thing about travis brown i had an occasion to look at the ufc heavyweight rankings and oh my oh, god you? what a sobering experience <laughs> uh you look around because there's this, so many quality fighters in there well i mean quality aside this top 15 is old as fuck and like <laughs> i know that that maybe seems like an obvious thing to say but i don't think you even realize it until you look at the top 15 and see 36 year old uh fabricio verdum you know 36 year old josh barnett mid 30s antonio silva 34 year old alistair overeem 40 year old mark hunt 37 38 year old roy nelson uh 30 something year old frank mir like this is an aging aging class and the weird part is that at 31 years old travis brown is actually one of your younger top contenders so i think that he definitely has a chance to put things back together uh kind of cure what ailed him in this fight uh and and come back in and make another run at it uh and he certainly seems to be a dude who has uh, the, the athleticism and, uh, and the desire to do that. So we'll have to see what happens in, in that regard. But I mean, coming into the cage, Joe Rogan and Mike Goldberg noted he'd only been training in the sport for five or six years. So like maybe he still has a chance to, uh, grow and improve as a heavyweight. He's still got, you know, a, at least a few years left where you'd have to consider him in his athletic prime. Yeah. And this is one of the ones where like one of the first ones where we've seen him face a, uh, a really high level heavyweight opponent and have to go a few rounds in it. And it didn't seem like that was to his favor. You know, maybe that's something, you know, who knows if, uh, if it was a rib injury that really sapped his cardio, uh, or, or what, but or maybe just kind of inexperience with those kinds of fights. Uh, it just seemed like, uh, you know, he was trouble for Verdum in the first round and then not at all. Uh, so maybe this is one of those where just going through that experience and being there and not getting put away in the fight, not quitting, that'll that'll help him later on down the road. Uh, but yeah, this does knock him back in the pack. The good news is, hey, you're a heavyweight. All you need to do is win one or two, and then your name's back up in there in title contention because we just don't have that many of them. Yeah, and one, definitely one of the big question marks coming into this fight, like you said, uh, Travis Brown had been super impressive in, in, you know, those last few fights against Barnett, Overeem, and Gonzaga, but it had also been since 2011 since he even got out of the first round. So I think that, uh, you know, cardio wise, it was a, uh, a situation where we didn't know exactly what, what to, uh, what to make of him, uh, and, uh, you know, found out that, that, especially I think being on the ground with Fabrizio Verdum kind of wore him out in those first couple of rounds. It did kind of look, you know, in the early going, I don't think we should overlook Travis Brown at his moments. There was a, a an exchange there against the fence in the first round where uh, I'm not sure if he dropped Fabrizio Verdum or if Verdum just slipped, but uh, it certainly looked like Brown was, was cruising towards another first round stoppage. Oh and, man, uh, but then Fabrizio Verdum is going to go and yank up that deep half guard kind of thing and then, and, and use it to get up and put Travis Brown down. That's the moment when I started to wonder, 
wonder, huh, I wonder if there are any heavyweights uh, that Brown was training with who are going to go ahead and pull off that that deep half guard uh, sweep pretty well. I don't know. I mean, that's one of the things where it's tough to find uh, guys for Bruce Verdum's size who also had the kind of jujitsu that he has. Tough to, to mimic that in training. Yeah, no, extremely, extremely valid point. Uh, this goes down as Travis Brown's first real uh, damning career loss previous to this. Uh, he lost to Bigfoot Silva in 2012 in that fight where he tore, hammy. tore his damn hamstring doing yeah. some spinning shit. Uh, so this is one where uh, where you feel like this is the first time that he really comes out and and uh, and loses a, a, a dog fight. Uh, but, you know, like we said, he's still got some time to try to put it back together. And uh, a guy who certainly seems uh, uh like he has a future in the heavyweight division and a dude who just like, seems like he has the profile. Like he's just kind of a frightening man, especially with the big beard. Uh, we heard pre-fight from Dana White that, uh, Fox executives had asked to have him in the main event of this, of this fight after seeing what he had done against Josh Barnett. So it still seems like he has a chance to, uh, to be a guy who can be kind of a cornerstone for the UFC in this, in this division moving forward. Uh, Anything else you want to, uh. The old E is just like you remember it. Yeah, you're, you're enjoying your malted beverage over there, I can tell. God. Yeah, no, that, that's it for me here, but I, I I do wanna, uh, when you, you mentioned the thing about the, the old ass heavyweights. Yes, uh, old, old ass heavyweights. Makes me wonder, where are the young ass heavyweights? That's what I was wondering. Where are all the young heavyweights playing at? Playing pro goddamn football is where they are. Yeah, no, that's like smart people. That's true. I went, uh, I went on the UFC. At least get paid for their brain damage. I went on the UFC's website while I was writing this thing about Travis Brown. There's 34 heavyweights lifted, listed on the official UFC website. I know that this is not a scientific study by any means, uh, but, uh, only six of them are still in their twenties. And that includes, uh, Stefan Struve, uh, Todd Duffy, uh, and then uh, some dudes that, uh, have not made their mark yet, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> how generous of you. So, uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a situation where you gotta wonder where we're gonna be in five years, you know, when Cain Velasquez is 36. And, uh, uh, we're gonna have to get into a situation where the UFC is gonna have to sign a bunch of heavyweights real fast, I think. Just hanging out at, uh, NFL scouting combine, seeing who doesn't make the grade. Hey son, how about Plan B? What problem? Maybe wouldn't be that bad of an idea. That's uh, that's how they got Mark Coleman, right? (laughs) More or less, the wrestling equivalent of that. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for round number two. You've reached the end of part one of this week's Co-Main Event podcast. Does that mean they have to turn the record over? Yep. Flip the record over. Don't don't forget to come back for round two because we still got lots of stuff happening. Uh, We'll be back with round three in just a minute. (laughs) 